Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. So we're just so glad to see you this morning. And uh, how many had a great week? Did you have a good week? I hope you had a good week. If you didn't have a good week, we're going to give you a good shot for this next week. So good to see you. Actually, if you look at me, I've got this little mark on my nose. I had a run-in with my dermatologist this week. So if you say, what is on his nose? You know, I got a mark here and a mark here, and I didn't put my makeup on this morning. So if you stare the whole service, what is wrong with his nose? That's a, that's a dermatologist uh, scar right there. So anyhow, we are excited about the people that are joining us online. We have 700 or 1,000 people listening to, uh, through Facebook Live and through different venues at Bayshore. Let's give our uh, online community a a hand. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for being a part of today's service. Well, listen, we're going to be talking about baptism this morning, water baptism. Uh, This whole series that we've been doing is called The Core, and we're talking about the core values of Bayshore. We talked about the core value of small groups and relationships. We talked about the core value of giving and uh, underwriting the outreach to the community. Last week, we talked about the core value of the Bible, that we love the Bible here at Bayshore. And here today, we talk about another core value, and this core value is water baptism. We love water baptism. It's a very important part of, of our value system here at Bayshore. So let me read a scripture to you to get started here. Uh, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has gone and the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. That's a great verse because I think it sort of summarizes what water baptism is all about. When I think about water baptism, I think about uh, my good friend Mike Bailey, who I met in Bible college. Mike Bailey had a completely different background than I did. I was raised uh, sort of in church, went to church, Methodist church when I was growing up. And then my family really embraced Christ, became Christians. And we were Methodists on Sunday morning and Nazarene on Sunday night. And then my dad went into the ministry. So I was involved from about 12 years uh, age on in the church, loving Jesus and a part of what church is all about. But my friend I met in Bible college, Mike Bailey, had no church background at all. He was an American heathen, a complete American heathen. And um, I met him in 1979. He loved Jesus, this big, big guy. And his background was completely different. You know, everybody's background is a little different. He was, he was an alcoholic before he met Jesus, and he was just uh, out of control. Uh, he was a womanizer. He was uh, very promiscuous and was with a lot of women. And, uh, and finally he got married, and even after he got married, he was still involved with alcohol and was very promiscuous. And he, his wife had an affair. His wife had an affair with uh, her boss, and he found out about it. He went to the motel, tried to get into the room, and uh, just out of control. And his marriage disintegrated, and he lost his uh, he lost his marriage. And in despair, he went to visit a Methodist pastor that he knew in town. And in the Methodist pastor's office, this Methodist pastor, a guy named Ted Yo, told him about Jesus told him about the love of Jesus, how Jesus could change his life. And Mike Bailey, my friend, got down on his knees in that pastor's office and received Jesus. 
and he became a new creature, a new person. The pastor took him into his house, discipled him for about three months, and he met a gal in the church, got married to her, and then they were married for about a month, and they moved to Pensacola where I met Mike. And Mike was fresh in the faith, fresh in the faith, just met Jesus. And uh, incredible thing. So the thing about Mike Bailey, though, I love. Somebody that knew about his life in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, saw this amazing change in his life, and uh, they made him a plaque. And that plaque hangs on his, uh, his, his kitchen wall, and it says, I don't have to remember who I was because that's not me anymore. I don't have to remember who I was because that's not me anymore. And every time I visit Mike in Lewistown, uh, Karen and I hanging out at his house. We love to hang out with them. They're some of our best friends. Uh, I see that sign, and it always reminds me of what God has done in Mike's life. Mike was, uh, just loved Jesus. He was like the woman in the story in the Gospels that was promiscuous, that just loved Jesus and poured her heart out at Jesus' feet. Mike just loved Jesus. And see, when I met him, I was sort of the religious kid. I came out of the religious background and all that. I loved Jesus, but I had some bondage that religion brought to me. And he really set me free in terms of understanding that really loving Jesus is the most important thing. So uh, I love that little, little thing on his wall. I don't have to remember who I was because that's not me anymore. That's what 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says. It says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything is new. One of my favorite uh, people in history, church history, is St. Augustine. St. Augustine uh, was like Mike Bailey. He was very promiscuous. He was a wild man. Uh, he was very, very, uh, very much a womanizer. And his mother, Monica, who became a Christian, prayed for Augustine. And Augustine resisted her prayers. And he said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. And he was completely a wild man, just living in the flesh. And, uh, and so he went, he moved to Italy to study rhetoric, and he listened to a preacher in Italy, uh, Ambrose, the great orator, and as he listened to Ambrose, going mainly to hear him speak and learn how to be a better speaker, he heard about Christ, and Christ began to work on his life, and he was sitting in a garden one day, and the Holy Spirit revealed his grace to him, and he became a Christian, and he committed himself completely to the Lord. He wrote a great book called The Confessions. And so Augustine became a Christian. Here's what Augustine happened to him one day. Because he was such a womanizer, every town he went to, uh, he, you know, he had a, a different uh, woman he was with. And one day he was walking through a certain city that he used to visit, and he saw one of his former mistresses coming toward him. And he saw her, and not wanting to be tempted, he turned the other way, and she began to chase him. And she said to him, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. It is I. And Augustine turned around and he said, but it is not I. But it is not I. He had become a different person. Say this one. When I meet Jesus, I become a new creature. I become somebody completely different. See, that's what Jesus does in our life. And we are people that have had an impact with Jesus, people that have met Jesus. Uh, and so baptism has to do with what we used to be and what we are becoming. It has to do with what we used to be and what we're becoming. So when you look at the New Testament, baptism, water baptism, is a big deal. It is a big deal. So what we have in America is we have a lot of people that maybe listened to a Billy Graham crusade or they came to some revival and they put their faith in Jesus, but they've never been water baptized. I want to talk to you a little bit today about what the New Testament says about water baptism. 
So first thing you need to know about water baptism, it was a universal experience of all individuals in the New Testament. It was a universal experience of all individuals in the New Testament. So, in fact, it's a, it's a point of obedience. When you think about water baptism, uh, when we become a Christian and we put our faith in Jesus, we basically are asking Jesus to be Lord of our life. And here's what you need to know about baptism. It's what I need to know about baptism. Here's what's important about baptism. Baptism is not optional. Baptism is a command. It's a command. When you think about coming under the lordship of Jesus and you're going to let Jesus be the Lord of your life, it's very imperative that the first thing you obey in the Lord's command to you is that you're water baptized because everybody in the New Testament was water baptized. And the word baptism, the word baptize in the New Testament, and we'll talk about this a little bit uh, in a few minutes, which is an interesting thing about baptism. What's become the norm for hundreds of years in the church was, was christening or sprinkling of babies, and many of us went through that experience. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But the word baptism, the word baptism means to dip. It's actually a Greek word that is used of taking a piece of cloth and dipping it uh, in uh, dye to have that, that cloth dyed. And so it means to, to dip or to completely immerse. So the word itself has to do that with that. But Jesus said to the disciples as he was sending them out, he said, uh, therefore go, Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here's what I think is interesting. The grand opening of the church, when the church was initiated and when the church was birthed, and that, was, that happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell uh, in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches the message of, of, the, of the gospel. Peter had recently denied the Lord and had, had not been faithful to the Lord. He had, he had stumbled. Let me ask you a question this morning. Anybody ever stumbled since you become a Christian? Have you ever stumbled? How many stumbled this week a little bit maybe? Hey, aren't you glad that God can till, still use you even when you stumble? I know maybe you didn't stumble, but your wife did. You know she did for sure. So we all stumble, but yet God still was using Peter. Peter got up and preached the gospel. And, you know, in homiletics, when you learn how to preach, they said every sermon has an objective. What's the objective of the sermon? Peter's objective was for people to accept Jesus. And here's what he says as he culminates his message in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you. Every one of you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 30, uh, 41 of Acts 2, those who accepted his message were baptized. So there's a connection with believing. When they believed, it said everyone that believed on the day of Pentecost was baptized. 3,000 people accepted Jesus. How many people were baptized? 3,000 people were baptized. They were baptized. Uh, and so it was a 100% completely inclusive of everybody that believed. And all through the New Testament, we see that. We see that in, uh, when Philip, the uh, deacon that goes to Samaria, it says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 8, and when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized. So it's very, very easy in the New Testament to see that baptism was the norm. 
Baptism was the norm. People were baptized. Second thing about baptism is people were baptized immediately after they became a Christian. Uh, It was the first thing that every believer did in the New Testament after they received Jesus. It was the first thing. Here's what is interesting. There was no gap between when they believed and when they were baptized. It was a seamless transition. In fact, if we were really a New Testament how New Testament operated, we would have a baptism pool every Sunday and people would be constantly being baptized. And that's what happened in the New Testament. When they believed, they were baptized immediately. It was an immediate thing. When I was in Russia a number of years ago, I saw this firsthand. Never, Never had seen this happen so emphatically as I did when I was in Russia. I'd preached there for a while and I'd done, taught in a Bible college, a Bible school. And uh, so I was at this one church in Kazan, Russia. And there was about 1,500 people there on this Sunday. A guy named Vitaly, a Russian guy, was preaching. And uh, they had a big church there. Funny little thing, they had a wedding in the middle of the service. I'd never seen that before. And, uh, and he preached the message, he preached the gospel. And great worship. Those Russians, former communists, were worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus. And this guy, Vitaly, gave the um, invitation for people to accept Jesus. And about 70 to 100 people in that auditorium received Jesus that morning. What this church did is they had buses waiting out front of this little coliseum where they were meeting. And as soon as they got these people received Jesus, they went to a bus. They got in the bus. And those of us that were there on the mission trip, we got on a bus as well. And they took those people right down to the Volga River, one of the main rivers in, in, in Russia that runs through Moscow and different parts of Russia. Uh, they took them down to the Volga River. And we got to baptize. And people from the church followed in cars, took public transportation. They're on the beach. And so right, right after these people had received Jesus, became Christians, they, had, they were like 20 minutes old in the faith. They were taken down the Volga River, and we helped baptize them. So in the New Testament, there was no seam between when a person was baptized and when uh, they, they received Jesus, and then immediately were baptized. The longest gap I can find in the, uh, in the, in the book of Acts is three days, three days, where Paul received the Lord, he, the Lord spoke to him on the road to Damascus, and he's in this, he's blinded by the light, and he's praying for three days, he's processing, and then Ananias comes and prays for him, and scales fall off his eyes, and then Paul is baptized. The first thing he did was not preach a sermon. The first thing he did was not write a book in the New Testament. The first thing he did was he was baptized, the Apostle Paul. Did you know Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in the upper room uh, on the day of Pentecost? And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was baptized with all those 3,000 people on, on, the, on, the, on the first uh, day of the church. So it's incredible. So baptism is the first thing that every believer in the New Testament did. Now here's, a, <clears throat> here's an interesting thing about this. Um, The third thing is, it is different than christening or infant baptism. Baptism in the New Testament, believer's baptism, is different from christening or infinite infant baptism. So I think that's a really interesting thing. Now, in our culture, I was raised Methodist. How many were Methodists? You were Methodists. I was raised a Methodist. Uh, How many? Anybody here raised Lutheran? You were raised Lutheran. How many? Lutheran. Let me see the Lutherans again. Wow, I didn't know we had that many Lutherans. Interesting. How many former Catholics uh, do we have here? Whoa, look at that. Isn't that amazing? I love that. People ask, you know, when they come to membership class, what, would, what should they call me? And I say, uh, call me Father Danny. So anyhow, <laughs> have them do that. So lots of Catholics, Episcopalians, any Episcopalians? And let me ask this, how about Presbyterians? Any Presbyterians? If you were raised in any of those churches, uh, infant baptism was how... Baptism was done 
And it was that way for hundreds of years. In fact, it became the norm in about the 4th century. So from the 4th century all the way to, uh, to, uh, the, to the present, actually, the 4th century, we know that about the 2nd or 3rd century after the apostles died, that infant baptism began to take place. And then by the 4th century, it was established in the church. The Catholic church had it established. Now, here's what's interesting. Now, what we do over here... Uh, where we put people down and immerse them. Did you know that that was, that was illegal for many, many centuries uh, in Europe? If you lived in Germany, uh, or if you lived in France, or you lived in one of the European countries, if you rebaptize somebody after they've been christened as, a, uh, as an infant, it was against the law, and it was a capital offense. Uh, in fact, when remember Martin Luther, the guy that put the 95 Theses on the, on the Wittenberg door that said justification by faith, not by works? The Lutherans uh, and the people of the Reformation that broke away from the Catholic Church, they also still uh, insisted on infant baptism. And, uh, and, and here's a, 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 there was a group of people uh, around Luther's time that emerged, that began to, to get back to the scriptures, get, get back to the Bible, and they saw that adult baptism, where people were being baptized as adults, when they saw that in the Bible, they began to do it, and they were persecuted for their faith by that. And they were called Anabaptists. Anna, Anna means again, Baptist baptizing again. So if somebody was baptized in the Catholic Church or in the Lutheran Church, christened as a baby, and then they were baptized, that person had broken the law, and the person baptizing them had broken the law, and these Anabaptists were, how, how, did, they, how did they persecute them? Well, they executed them, and how they executed them is they drowned them because they said, if you want to be baptized, we'll baptize you, and they drowned them until they were dead. So when you think about what the church has paid to get back to what the Bible really says, it's a very, very incredible thing. Now, how many here, you were christened as a child? Just raise your hand if you were christened as a child. I was christened as a child. I called my dad last night, talked to him about it, and my mom, before she passed away, I talked to her about it. And um, here's the thing about christening. Here's the thing for me is, I have no memory of it at all. I can't remember. How many, how many don't remember your christening? You do not remember. You, you just don't remember. In fact, you were an infant, and you, you, had, you weren't thinking about repentance. You weren't thinking about believing in Jesus. You were thinking about one of two things. You were thinking about, I need something to eat. I'm hungry. Or I want to defecate, which means I want to poop. That's what you were. You're either thinking about, I got to eat or I got to poop. That is what you're thinking about as an infant. So I don't mean to be so crude there, but that's all you're thinking about. Baptism, New Testament baptism, has to do with the conscious thought that you consciously are believing in Jesus and you're consciously repenting of your sins. That's why Peter said, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. The word repent means to change your mind. Now, my, the little infant that we bring to christen, that little infant cannot repent. He doesn't even know what sin is, doesn't know what, he doesn't know what belief is. So you have to have New Testament uh, baptism has to do with conscious thought, with conscious thought. So say this with me, I must have an engaged mind to have authentic baptism. Now let me just quickly say, God bless your parents 
for taking you to church and pouring some water on you. That's, God blessed them for that. That they, they, they were doing the best they could and they believed, you know, I don't know what they believed about it. I think mainly they wanted to show you off. Look, we had a kid. I think that's what they're there for. But bottom line is, it has no effect, zero effect on your salvation. Zero effect on your salvation. If I'm standing up, uh, I'm going on a, on a trip and I'm flying to Atlanta and I got Karen with me and I got my uh, kids with me and their wives and the grandkids and I walk up to the, when we're boarding the plane, I say, hey, listen, I got a ticket and this ticket's good for everybody else in my family. And uh, bottom line is, they're going to say, I'm sorry, you can go, but they can't go. See, you got to have your own ticket to get to heaven. Your parents can't have the ticket for you. They can't get you baptized and get you covered for eternal life because you have to repent and you have to believe in Jesus in order to become Christian. It is a personal, authentic experience that you must have. And the good thing about the kingdom of God is you've got to have a ticket to get to heaven, but the good thing about it is you don't have to pay for the ticket. Jesus already paid for the ticket. You just accept Jesus and you get to go uh, into the kingdom of God. Can you say a big amen? So... There is no such thing uh, as infant baptism in the Bible. It's not there. There's a guy named uh, Framus, famous uh, theologian, German theologian. If you go to seminary, you go to Bible college, you learn about this guy named uh, Frederick Schielemacher, uh, famous, uh, famous uh, German scholar. And he says this, all traces of infant baptism which are asserted to be found in the New Testament must be first inserted there. That it, when we assert that infant baptism is in the New Testament, he's saying, you know, when you proclaim that infant baptism is in the New Testament, you have to first insert it there because it's not there. It's really not there. Now, where do they get, where do people get this from? Well, they get it from the household baptisms in the, in the, in the book of Acts. There's five of those where it says they were baptized and their household. And, they, and the thought is, is that if, if a person is baptized and their household is, there must be infants in the household they are being baptized. So that's the stretch of where they do that. And that's how they come about with that. But here's what's interesting. Uh, uh, for instance, in the Philippian jailer's situation in uh, Acts 16, it says in uh, Acts 16:33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he, immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. After he received Jesus, immediately he was baptized. If you've accepted Jesus and you haven't been baptized yet, you're already behind schedule. It says he immediately was baptized. He says, at that hour of the night, the jailer took him and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. Okay, so he had a family. We don't know how old his kids were. How many kids he had? Was he like the Duggars? Did he have 12 kids? I don't know how many kids he had. He had three kids. How old were his kids? We don't know anything about that. But here's what we do know about that. It says in uh, verse uh, 31 of Acts 16, they replied, this is uh, Paul and Silas preaching to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will save you and your household. That sounds really good. And I love that verse. And then verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord. Listen to him. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. So we know the people in his household were hearing the word. They were comprehending the word. So we must have people, we must have children that have a comprehensive ability where they're comprehending. So he preached the word uh, to him and all the others in the house, verse 32. And then there's thir verse 34. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he, because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So... 
His whole family was baptized, but his whole family believed. So when you have household baptisms in the New Testament, what you have is, is you have a household where the father and mother receive Jesus and the kids that have comprehensive ability understand as well and they're baptized. There's no validation for infant baptism in the New Testament. So I want to say, is it horrible? Is it terrible? Absolutely. And are we going to go on a crusade against infant baptism? Absolutely not. You know, hey, listen, I had a lady get really upset with me one Sunday when I preached on baptism out in the foyer, and she was upset. I think she felt like I was dishonoring her parents because I taught this. And uh, here's the thing. If you, if you receive Jesus and you get baptized uh, like the New Testament describes, listen, you're really honoring your parents because you're fulfilling what they were believing God to happen in your life in the first place. So that's a good thing. So uh, water baptism is by immersion, and it is completely thing. It is completely there. So here's the here's the thing. Consciousness, conscious thought, repentance, and believing has to be connected with baptism. Therefore, I must be old enough to have the ability to believe, the ability to understand, and to have conscious thought. And I'm believe, and then I'm baptized. So that's an important thing. So. The other thing about baptism, uh, what's the next point, is baptism is to be a public profession that you are a follower of Jesus. Baptism is to be a public profession that you are a follower of Jesus. Now here's, uh, Karen was telling me about her christening. Uh, she was 12 years old. She was older when she got christened. And her mother, you know, I guess she never got around to it. She was like, oh, my gosh, Karen's never been christened. And she saw how Karen was, you know, telling stories and stuff. She needed to, you know, get right. It's a little joke. Karen's away, so I could tell that story. But anyhow, she's, uh, uh, she, so she takes her to the, see the Methodist pastor and come to Maryland by herself, just her and her mom. And the Methodist pastor didn't know Karen, didn't know Karen's mom, put a little water on her and said something. And that was the christening. See, baptism is a public event. It's a public event where you are coming out for Jesus. You're coming out for Jesus. You're saying, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm all in. I'm going to get in the pool, and I'm, they're going to duck me, and I'm a fully immersed follower of Jesus, and I want everybody to know it. I want everybody to know it. It's a public event. Baptism should never be done private, where you and a, somebody out in the woods, you know, you do a baptism. It's where you, you, where you, the community, the church, everybody sees you get baptized, because baptism is a public event. Now, here's what's not in the Bible. Here's what's not in the Bible. I grew up in a church where we did altar calls every Sunday, and um, I love altar calls. I, you know, I went to the altar all the time. My dad was a great preacher, and he gave altar calls, and I went to the altar, and I, I just asked the Lord to help me. I'm trying to live for Jesus. I'm a teenager, and I'm having all kinds of temptations, and I'm at the altar praying and all that. So I love that. I have no disregard for that. And I used to love to watch Billy Graham, you know, when he was on TV. How many used to love to watch Billy Graham? What a great man he was. What a great legacy he brought to the church in America. Billy Graham would preach, and he'd always give an altar call, and they would sing Just As I Am. How many remember Just As I Am? Do you remember that song? If you're not a Christian, maybe you don't know what that is, but it's Just As I Am, Come Just As You Are. It's a great song, and uh, we would... He would sing that, and I always loved what he said, and I've always wanted to say it. I've never had the opportunity to say it. He said, he always said, if you came in a bus, they'll wait for you. If you came in a bus, they'll wait for you. And uh, boy, I'm like, I wish I could say, if, they, if you came in a bus to Bayshore, they'll wait for you. Come up here. But I uh, never got to say that. But anyhow, there it is. But, uh, and people would come forward, and they would receive Jesus publicly. Now, where is that in the New Testament? Is that a bad thing? It's absolutely not a bad thing. 
but it's actually a replacement for baptism. Baptism is a public event. You cannot find one altar call in the New Testament, which makes me feel really good because I'm really lousy at them. And there is just, it's just not there. It's just not there. And sometimes people get on me, hey, well, you know, why don't you give an altar call? I want people to receive Jesus every Sunday, but I, that's not how I do it. And I don't, I'm not putting anybody down that doesn't do that. I'm just saying it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible anywhere. You, couldn't, you could not preach a sermon on a text that says you should give an altar call. But I tell you what you can preach a sermon on is that people were publicly baptized in front of people and they went to a baptismal pool and they said, I'm all in for Jesus. And if you're all in for Jesus, say a big amen this morning. Amen. That's, that, that's in the Bible. My son Joel and his wife Stacy and my other son Tim and his wife Jessica, uh, they went to an Eagles-Ravens game, a pre-season uh, uh, Ravens-Eagles uh, game up in Philadelphia. And his friends told my son Joel, my, my son Joel is a, is, a, is a raving Ravens fan. He loves the Ravens. I raised him to be a Green Bay Packer fan. It didn't stick. He loves the Ravens. He is just crazy about the Ravens. He's got Raven shirt, uh, Raven hat, Raven underwear. He is a Raven fan. And so his friends said, listen, you're going to go to Philadelphia. Those Philadelphia fans, they're crazy. They are, they're unglued. They're unhinged. Don't wear your Raven jersey there. So he didn't. He didn't wear it there, and I was proud of him. I said, that's good. Uh, he didn't wear it there. And here's a picture of them in the stands, and he said they were up there a ways, and here they are in the stands without the Ravens. You see a guy behind them that's got an Eagles shirt on that's uh, with, celebrating the Super Bowl that they won, and there's my, my son. He didn't have the Ravens shirt on, and uh, he's just trying to be smart, wants to blend in. When you're baptized, you put your Jesus shirt on in front of the world. You put your Jesus shirt on, and you, and you say the whole stadium, I'm a fan of Jesus, and I'm serving Jesus, I'm public. Jesus said this. He said, if you're ashamed of me, uh, it, says, it, it says in Mark 8.38, verse that always has really made me, made me really feel, uh, make my knees tremble. Mark 8.38 says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory. So listen, hey, just say it with me. I am not ashamed of Jesus. I'm going to get in the pool right in front of everybody and say, I am a follower of Jesus. It's a public thing. So just like a wedding is a public thing. Now, uh, I just, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings at all, but I'm, you know, here I go. Here I am again. So here's, a, I think a, a wedding is a public thing. I think, I think you're getting married in front of your friends, get married in front of your, your, uh, you know, your relatives, and you just come out. I'm a, I'm a follower. I'm going to be married to this person. I think baptism's that way as well. Okay, so next point. Uh, it is a picture. It pictures, what does baptism do? It pictures the burial of the old sinful person used to be. Listen to this. Baptism is not something you check off the list. Baptism is not something you check off the list. But baptism is a frame of reference for the rest of your life. A frame of reference for the rest of your life. So, the other week I was doing uh, a wedding ceremony for Tommy Monroe and his 
uh, Abby Genshaw. I don't know if we have a picture or not. There they are. Uh, just They got married on the, in the Ross Mansion, uh, by the Ross Mansion on the grounds there. What a great picture that is. And uh, we were standing behind that barn, and we walked out there, and, and they got married in front of these trees. A 20-acre farm, uh, the Ross Mansion. Governor Ross, I don't know if you know about Governor Ross. He was a governor of Delaware, Del- a Democratic Del- uh, governor from 1851 to 1855. This is a pre-Civil War area, and during the Civil War, he supported the South, and they made him fly to England, or not fly to England, take a boat to England. So, but this is their wedding. They got married there, and I'm thinking about, you know, when I do a wedding, especially with people I love and care about, I've known Tommy since he was a little boy, and I always ask the Lord, give me something special for the wedding, you know, something I'm supposed to say. So I'm thinking about this wedding, and uh, the Lord just tapped me on the shoulder, and I get up there, they, they come up, and they're looking so good. He's looking good, and I'm looking old. You know what I mean? You go to a wedding, you think, man, I'm a geezer. Am I a geezer or what? These people look amazing. They walk down. They brought her in a little horse carriage thing. She comes down the aisle. And they came up there, and I said, listen. I said, I had a little vision. I didn't say it that way. I didn't want to freak anybody out. I said, I had a little, in my imagination. He said, we're on this property. And, And 50 years from now, 50 years from now, I see an old couple walking across the pasture where you just walked, walking down to this very spot. And I see that old couple is you. Fifty years from now, you'll come back to this spot to celebrate this moment. And I said, don't just come back to this spot physically from time to time. You should physically from time to time come back to the spot you got married. I said, but in your imagination, come back to this spot where you made this covenant with each other. When you think about baptism as you come back to that spot time and time again if you if you fall back into sin if you begin to struggle with your flesh you go back to your baptism you ask Jesus to forgive you and say Lord I the way I've been acting the way I've been living this last week is not honorable to you and I ask you to forgive me I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me just cleanse me of this just awful stuff and just cleanse me of it and I just come to this place Lord and I remember I was baptized I buried the old person that I used to be I buried the old person. So baptism, when's the last time you thought about your baptism? When's the last time you went back to that spot where you buried your old self and you said, I'm not, no longer like Mike Bailey, I'm no longer that person, I'm a new person, I'm a new creature in Christ. Here's what it says in Romans, Romans chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse uh, 3 through 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. So baptism is a burial. I bury, Mike Bailey buried in baptism the old womanizer he was, the old alcoholic he was, and in his mind he goes back to that point, that baptism, remind himself that he was baptized, that he had buried that old person. Now, I'm going to ask, uh, i got a couple guys going to come up and help me right now, Gavin and Chase Ferruccio, and uh, where are you guys at? Just hustle up here if you're around here somewhere. Uh, there you guys are some. There they are, right there. Okay, uh, and uh, you, got the, you got the handcuffs there? Okay, so there, oh, there they are. I got the handcuffs. You got the key, right? Okay, okay, now let me have the key here. Okay, okay, so here it is. Uh, Gavin, or not Gavin, Chase here is just an incredible young man, and, and Gavin was just a little guy when he came here, and I don't know what's in the water here, but look at this guy. He's like growing up. So I uh, just love these guys. So uh, Chase is going to be the old, my old nature, 
what I was before I became a Christian. And if I can get this unlocked here. Okay, I want you to put this on your hand here. Okay, you okay? Is that a little tight? It is a little tight, isn't it? So uh, what can I do? I don't know anything about this. So there we go. <laughs> okay. Okay, there we go. Okay. I may need RJ to come up here in a minute. I have a little stuff. Oh, there it is. I got it. I got it. There we go. Okay, there we go. Now I'm in here. You guys, we are connected, buddy. <laughs> Gavin, can you come here a minute? Can you pull that key out? Okay. okay, so before I met the Lord, you know, and I was born with an old nature, an old sin nature. You know, it's, it's the wicked, lying, cheating, stealing, lusting, whatever. This is, this is black me I'm telling you and so wherever I went I had this this old nature with me you know it made me do things that wouldn't please the Lord and uh, you know it just always with me always kind of hold me down and all that and it didn't matter where I went or what I did this old sin nature was just always with me and uh, when I became a Christian I had old nature but when I became a Christian I had became a new person I became a new person inside and so when I get baptized I have baptism come over here, and I've been dragging this old sinful nature around. And when baptism comes, baptism disconnects me from my old nature. Baptism disconnects me from my old nature. <laughs> and no longer am I connected to that old nature, but I am set free from the old nature. Can you say a big amen? amen. Give these guys a big hand. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So baptism is not just about going to heaven. It's not about that. It's about me living a new, authentic life in Jesus. And so when I go back in my mind to my baptism, I say, Lord, that old nature, the old person I used to be, I buried that person. And when you are put down in the water, you're being buried with Christ. And when you come up from the water, you're being raised with Christ to a new life. Your new nature now is the, is the nature that's going to dominate. Now you say, Pastor Danny, am I still going to struggle with my old nature? Oh, yeah, from time to time. You'll go to a grave, you know, you look at your baptism and you have an arm sticking up out of the grave, you know. And you have to, you have to remember that, that that person that you used to be has been buried, has been buried. So if you have been baptized, please don't check that off the list, but take a moment. I was baptized when I was young, and then I got baptized in Israel uh, because I was over there in the Jordan River, and I just wanted to get baptized there. And so this week, I was thinking about being in the Jordan River. Now, you don't have to be buried in the, uh, baptized in the Jordan River. You can be buried, baptized anywhere. But I went back to that moment when I was standing in the Jordan River, and that person, that pastor from California put me under and I remember that the person that I don't want to be, the person that's not like Jesus, was put in the grave. And I remember that. I remember that. I go back to that moment. I go back to that moment. Now, if you think about the last point here this morning uh, is this. Baptism is something to be celebrated. It should be celebrated. Uh, 
It should be celebrated as the most important moment in your life. It should be celebrated as the most important moment in your life. And the great illustration for this is when uh, the children of Israel go through the Red Sea, and they've been in Egypt for 430 years, and, and as they've been in Egypt, these slave masters of the Egyptian uh, government have whipped them, made them make bricks, have been ruling over their life. And so Moses leads them out of Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea. And what happens? The army, their former captors, are following them, trying to recapture them. And they go through the water, and as they go through the water, and they come out on the other side, the water covers and destroys those former captors. And then what happens? The Bible says that they begin to sing and dance on the shore because their former captors have been destroyed. And Miriam takes a tambourine, the sister of Moses, and Miriam dances uh, on the shore and they celebrate the destruction of their former captors. So when a person's baptized, it's a party. We celebrate the, the, the cessation of the people they used to be. Now, last Sunday, I was preaching here, of course, but in Rehoboth, we had a bunch of people baptized. And uh, they had a wonderful baptism party. And uh, it was incredible. We, we baptized over 100 people, 100 people at our Rehoboth campus so far. 100 people. I think we should celebrate that. Isn't that amazing. 100 people already. So I made a little video to talk to the church. But the reason I made the video was because my granddaughter, Willow Grace, who I prayed for since a little, since a little kid, before she was ever born, I prayed for her. And I loved on her. Her mom uh, left her, and she's uh, been in a just transitional situation. She's doing really well, and she's got a great dad and great, great stepmom and all that, and uh, just a complicated story. But I've been really, really always concerned about her, always praying for her, always, I always take her out and spend time with her on the beach, and we collect shells, and I uh, always wanted her to have faith in Jesus. And I tell you, the Lord has done something amazing in her heart. She just loves Jesus with all her heart. She loves the Bible. She said, I don't know why we can't talk about Jesus in school. She goes, Lord, Baltimore school. She said, I don't know why we can't talk about Jesus. They don't want you to talk about Jesus, but I want to talk about Jesus. I said, well, go for it. You're like your granddad. Man, you're like... But she just turned 10. She turned 10 this week, and uh, mom and dad wanted to understand what was going on. But she couldn't wait to be baptized. Could not wait to be baptized. So last Sunday she got baptized. Here's a picture of her in the, uh, in the baptism pool. Her uncle's baptizing her and he's crying. I'm crying now. She's so happy. She goes down under the water. She comes up. That girl is thrilled that she knows Jesus. Karen was there. She skipped out. She usually serves here. She skipped out. She's in Rehoboth. She's going to see Willow baptized. She said when Willow got out of the baptism pool, she was jumping up and down. And she ran to Karen and just hugged her and hugged her and hugged her because she was so excited to be baptized. Baptism is something to be celebrated. It's something to be celebrated about a new life. Somebody that's following Jesus with all their heart. 
And they're not holding back at all. And my little granddaughter, Willow, she's going to be dangerous for Jesus. Dangerous for Jesus. So baptism is the norm. If you haven't been baptized, we're having a party. Just so happens we're having a baptism party here. October the 6th. Thank you for asking. October the 6th, we're going to be having one. And it's going to be right over here. We're going to have a party. I hope you bring party balloons. I hope you bring things to blow. I hope you shout. I think we jump up and down. But if you haven't been baptized, you need to like not wait. You need to say, hey, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to get baptized. And just sign up. And you can do it on the connection card. That's right on the back. You just check, uh, I want to be baptized. And write it. Hand it to somebody. Hand it at the information center. Hand it before you leave. Or you can go online. Uh, Bayshore Baptism. Just go to bayshorecc.org and slash baptism. You baptize that way. Or if you're like me, old school guy, you know, I'm used to legal pads and pens. I'm that guy. You know, you can go right to the information center and say, sign me up and get baptized. And here's what you want to do. Use it as an opportunity to witness to your family. Willow's other grandmother is an atheist, does not believe in God. And the uncle, I don't think he's an agnostic. And Willow's other grandma came to that baptism and sat with the uncle and wept through the whole service as the Holy Spirit ministered to her. So take your baptism, take your baptism as an opportunity to share Jesus with your family and your friends. Invite your most vile friends to your baptism. Let them see you get baptized. Because baptism is a big deal. Baptism is a big deal. Now, those of you that have been baptized, would you raise your hands right now? Would you lift up both hands? And would you take a moment as you've got your hands in there, would you go back in time to that spot where you were baptized? And maybe you've been struggling with some things. Go back to that point and say, Lord, I remember I buried that person I buried that old person and to see the Lord's grace in your life. And we thank you, Lord. We're going to put off the old man and we're going to put on the new man. We're going to put off the flesh. We're going to put off who we used to be. As Augustine said, but it is not I. It is not I. We thank you for that, Lord. Now, Lord, we thank you for the, our baptism. We thank you for us being in the kingdom of God. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for helping us to see the power of your spirit to change our lives. We pray for people in our church that have not been baptized, that have not really embraced the obedient call. And we pray today that they'll sign up and they'll become uh, full-fledged disciples of Jesus being baptized publicly. We pray for that. We ask for this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen.